0: Good evening. That passage that Wayne just read always makes me think of a story I once heard from William Willimon. William Willimon's this pastor-theologian type guy, and at the time he was chaplain at Duke University, and he attended a military recruitment rally for the young undergrads. And this was a couple decades back military at that time, every branch seemed to have like these great motivational poster slogans. Uh, with the Army, you could be all that you can be, join the Army. The Air Force, aim high with the Air Force. The Navy was, I'm on a boat. And the Marines, which of course were part of the Navy, were looking for a few good Men 've since changed that because you know you want to be gender affirming and welcome everybody, but at the time, they were looking for a few good men, and so at this recruitment rally, each of the recruiters got up to say their piece of why you should join their branch of the military and the benefits that it would have for you. You could see the world you would learn life and vocational skills on the job training you would earn college tuition you'd get better at time management Um, all these things talk about how great it was when the marines turn came up he simply got up, surveyed the crowd and repeated his slogan we're looking for a few good men and most of you do not qualify and then he sat down. (laughs) At the end of this event, each of the recruiters took their place on the perimeter of the auditorium to talk with those who are interested in enlisting and they had a smattering of people come to each table. The Marine had a line. They had all talked about the benefits of what it would be to do military service. Only the Marine issued a challenge. Sometimes, in our zeal to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we make the Christian life sound like it's easy. You've all heard these Pollyanna testimonies of people whose lives changed when they came to Christ. You know, they were down on their luck, in debt, they're flunking out of school, they fell in with the wrong crowd, had some unhealthy relationships and just some things I don't want to go into, and they would you know, go into department stores and tear the the labels off of mattresses, it was just Bad deal. (laughs) And they felt isolated and alone and empty inside. And then they met Jesus and their life turned around, and now they live secure in His provision and they dance with Jesus in open fields every single day, and they're always happy, full of joy. And God's mercy for them is new every single morning. And I've heard these testimonies and I've thought, I wish my life was like that. And sometimes I think, a little more cynically perhaps, I wish their life was like that. And why? Because at most, that is part of the story. Now I want to be careful how I say this because when you come to Jesus there is the promise of new life. You will find forgiveness for your sin sick soul. You will be released into new joy and freedom and experience all the good things that God has in store for you. Jesus came to give you new life but he didn't come to give you an easy life. Repeatedly, when the topic of discipleship came up in Jesus' presence, he issued high demands, set impossible standards, and asked for total commitment. The words that Wayne read, If anyone would be my disciple, let them take up their cross and follow me. Total commitment. Right now, Chris is downstairs and he's talking to our children about baptism. Baptism is the sacrament of Christian initiation. initiation, And it symbolizes our total identification with Christ in His death, in His resurrection, in His life. I have one goal today and that is to get us to think a little more deeply together about what it means to follow Jesus. So with that, let us stand for the reading of God's Word. This passage today is from Matthew 8, verse 18 to 27. When Jesus saw the crowd he gave the order to cross over to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him, and he said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you may go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said, Lord, first let me bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and the disciples followed him. Suddenly, a fierce storm came up on the lake so that the waves washed over the boat but Jesus was sleeping the disciples went to him and woke him up and said Lord save us we're going to drown he replied you of little faith why are you so afraid and he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, you may be seated. The Scripture that I just recited is told also in the Gospel of Luke, but Luke separates this into two separate events. You, know, you have Jesus calming the storm in the middle of Luke 8, and then by the end of Luke 9, you have this discussion with would-be disciples. And Luke enlarges that dialogue a little bit. He includes another question. Um, a questioner asks um, if he could first say goodbye to his family and Jesus is not amused. You can look it up, nine, Luke nine sixty-two, I believe, but the genius of Matthew is that he places these two stories together because together they give us a fuller picture of what it means to follow Jesus. And Matthew shares some details that are not in Luke or anywhere else. For instance, we hear in Matthew that the first questioner is a scribe, a teacher of the law. Now, when these guys show up in the Bible, in the Gospels, they're usually the bad guys, right? They're the opposition. Um... These were the religious experts, the ones that had studied Jewish traditions, Jewish customs, the law, they knew the scriptures forwards and backwards, and they were the the experts that you went to, to make sure that you were on the straight and narrow. Jesus was a Jewish carpenter turned itinerant evangelist, and he was not one of their number, and many of the traditions that they held dear, he looked askance upon. But this particular teacher of the law, maybe he had heard Jesus teaching, seen him heal, seen him cast out demons, he weighed his words and heard in them the ring of truth, and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. He calls him teacher which in Matthew's gospel that's a title given by people who are not yet Jesus disciples it's usually outsiders but he's somebody who's really interested and even even making that declaration he's risking something you know he's he's saying that um he's not a religious Expert, he'll let somebody else be his lord. He's risking some of his respectability with, you know, his group. But in the end, Jesus wants him to fully count the cost of what he is declaring. And so he says, Hobbits have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Sorry, I sneak in Tolkien references into sermons just to see who's saved. <sighs> All right. All right, so, so sorry, it's foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But as long as we're on the subject of hobbits, I interrupt this message to give you a word about hobbits. So, if you've seen Peter Jackson's adaptation of The Hobbit or read J.R.R. Tolkien's epic children's story, you know it begins oh, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. This was not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the smell, was filled with the ends of oozy worms and smell of worms and an oozy smell, I think is what it says. Nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with no, nothing to sit down on, or to eat? No, this was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. We meet this hobbit, Bilbo Baggins. He's the son of Bungo Baggins and Belladonna Took, and he is a respectable hobbit, as hobbits go, he lives in the most luxurious hole in the hill and he never wants for clothes, for food, for a pint of good ale, or the warmth of tobacco smoke from his pipe. Life is pretty good. And then Gandalf the Grey rides to town and decides that he is the sort of hobbit that needs to go on an adventure And soon, not entirely against his will, but a little bit, he ends up leaving his hole, leaving the hill, and his handkerchiefs behind in pursuit of a dragon, dwarf gold, and adventure. Jesus is not Gandalf the Grey. He didn't force his will on this teacher of the law, but he wanted him to know that if he were to follow him, he would have to take on the sort of life that Jesus had. Now, Jesus more than likely had a home in Capernaum, but functionally, he was homeless. He was an itinerant evangelist, went from town to town, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. He was teaching the crowds. He was casting out demons and healing the sick and the lame and the blind. And he he and his disciples were dependent on the hospitality of others. If this teacher of the law were to follow Jesus, he would have to take on that sort of life. He would have to give up the security that he had, the respectability, his home. My point, and I do have one, is this. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to kiss our whole goodbye. Turn to your neighbor and say kiss your hole goodbye. (laughs) Your hole is anywhere you crawl into to feel safe and secure. Anywhere in your own resources that you go to. Jesus To follow Jesus is to live life on His terms. To go where He bid you go. Not to hold back and hold on to the things that make you feel safe and secure. To follow Jesus is to kiss your whole goodbye. Another disciple, maybe hearing this, said, Let me bury my father. Now, in that culture, if you had a dead relative, they got him in the ground pretty quickly. You didn't didn't wait to bury somebody because you didn't want a stinking, rotting cadaver lying around. You didn't want the last memory of your father to be maggots crawling out of the eye sockets of your dad. You got him in the ground. Was this disciple asking Jesus for a few hours to make sure his father was properly buried? I can say, let me say this as emphatically as I can. Maybe? (laughs) I don't think so it's possible. This, this sort of commitment was not unheard of in Jewish culture. If people in the Old Testament called Nazarites took a vow where they could not touch any dead body, because their vow was to God, and that's the commitment they made. Even if it was their own mother or father, they could not touch anything dead. Jesus could have been asking this disciple for that kind of total commitment. Many scholars feel that, well, we have no way of knowing that the father was in fact dead. Maybe he was asking for an indefinite period of time. It's like, I will follow you, Jesus. I know that you are Lord and I like what you're teaching. But I've got other obligations. I need to take care of my family. I need to respect my father while he's alive. And then later, we'll get to you, Jesus. Another option, there is a tradition in the first century where the eldest son would dig up the father's bones a year after he had originally been buried when all of the flesh had rotted away and all, you have clean bones, and he would take the bones and put them in a box in the, the, the wall of the tomb. And it was a way for a son to look, show honor before leaving home. You know. Remember in that culture, honoring your parents is kind of a big deal. It's one of the Ten Commandments. The Jews had thought it was a big deal. It was important to God. It was important to Jesus even. You know, Later in Matthew, he gets on the Pharisees' case for failing to care for their aging parents and give them proper honor. This was an important thing. But what Jesus was saying here was what it means to follow him is that his, your commitment to Jesus is more important than all other commitments. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, I don't know if we in this culture totally get how radical that was for this disciple. I mean, we're, for the most part, a bunch of pasty white folk. And the way that we were raised was, you know, we prized the individual. You raise your kids so that they can be autonomous individuals contributing to society. They get out, they make their own way in the world, and everything's great. But if you look at other cultures, they have more of a sense of family commitment where you defer to the family, you defer to tradition, to elders. Um, and these things are important. I think of my Asian American friends when they, they read this passage, this is a hard word for them because in that culture, respect for your parents is, is paramount. And yet, Jesus' culture was much closer to that. And he doesn't shy away from saying, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. For you, it may be something different. You could add your own first let me, let's fill in the blank. Lord. I know what you're telling me to do. But first, let me get my children to a certain age, make sure they're well cared for, and then I'll do that. Lord, I just need to get a little more money in the bank, and then we'll feel secure enough to step out in faith. Lord, I want to get married first. Whatever it is, If you want to follow Jesus, your commitment to Him outstrips all other commitments to anyone or anything. So I've said really two very hard things, you know, kiss your whole goodbye, commitment to Jesus outstrips all other commitments. And if we left here today, and you did try to do that, um, might as well just give up now, you're going to (laughs) fail. We'll never follow Jesus unless we catch a vision of who He is. A vision of Jesus' power Experience of Him in our lives is what will sustain us in following Him. As we look at our story, Jesus gets in the boat, goes to sleep. His disciples, who at this point have listened to everything. He said, got the boat ready so they could cross over to the other side of the lake and avoid the pesky crowds. And here they were in the middle of the lake. Now, The Sea of Galilee sits about 635 feet below sea level, and there are mountains on the east and west that tower above, like 2,500 feet above sea level. And in the spring, a strong east wind could send a very sudden and violent storm upon the lake. And this is what the disciples were caught in, and they knew they were going to die. These were fishermen. They knew this was not a good time to be stuck on the lake. And Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. They woke him up and said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Mark and Luke, when they share this story, they're a little less polite. What the disciples say say Lord, don't you care that we're going to die? I don't think Jesus was being judgmental or annoyed when he responded with this. I think it was with compassion that he said, You of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Hear the words of Jesus. You, of little faith, why are you so afraid? It is though he said, Why don't you trust me? If you knew who it was who was sleeping in the back of the boat, you'd have no cause to be scared. And as if demonstrating his point, you know the story, he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and they did what no mere mortal could expect. The wind and the waves stopped. The Jews knew of miracle workers. They'd had prophets that had healed the sick before Elijah and Elisha, even raised the dead But authority over nature, over the elements, over wind and water. That was God. No other miracle in Jesus' earthly ministry so vividly points to his authority, his identity as the divine Son of God as this. Now, I don't think the disciples got that but I think they got a little more of a picture of who this was. They saw and they were amazed and said, what kind of man is this that even the wind and waves obey him? When we catch a vision of who Jesus is, then we are sustained in our ability to follow him. got to tell you that this is the hard part of the passage for me. That some of you know Sarah's and my story. We've had, in many ways, a really great year. It's been good being part of this community and this church. Um, But it's been a really hard year. And, you know, there are times when I, I can pray for my family and say, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Maybe even less politely. Don't you care that we are perishing? I need a greater vision of who Jesus is. And that's what will sustain me when I step out and follow him. And that's what we all need. So, this has been really nice. If you want to follow Jesus, kiss your whole goodbye. That place of security and safety that you go to, just let it go. Step out on the open road, take a risk and follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, commit to him more than anyone or anything else. Jesus asks for total commitment. If you want to keep following Jesus, get a bigger picture of who He is, because that's what will sustain you when you walk in His footsteps. Now I don't want to just let this ruminate, so I'm going to actually give you some homework If you're taking notes, I want you to write three questions down. And if you're not taking notes, I want you to write three questions down. Question number one. What do you have to give up? in order to follow Jesus? What are the things that are stopping you from getting on the road and going where Jesus goes? What do you have to give up to follow Jesus? Everybody got that? Good. Second question. What commitments compete with your commitment to Christ? What is it that threatens to dethrone Christ in your heart? You know, writers on the spiritual life talk about the rightly ordering of the affections. That is, getting your first love first and your second love second. You know, Jesus is first, everything else is not first. So, what commitments compete with your commitment to Christ. Now these aren't things you're getting rid of, understand, but they're things that you're wanting to make sure you have in the right place. And my third question is this. Where in your life do you need to see Jesus more? What could be an area of struggle, could be Something that you just want to see Jesus act more in your life. Where in your life do you want to see Jesus more? So, this is my challenge this week. If you journal, you can journal on these. But take some time prayerfully and go over these questions. Maybe read this passage and think about these areas. And and ask God to show you how you can be a better follower of Him. Let, us, let me pray for us. God, we have the best intentions in the world and sometimes the worst follow-through. We say we'll follow you wherever you go. But then we retreat to places of safety and comfort. We say, Lord, I want to follow you, but first let me do these other things that are also so important to me. Lord, teach us what it is to walk in your ways. Give us a vision of you that will sustain us. Give us an experience of you that will carry us. Show us how to follow you. Amen.